time to wake up to Tequila Sunrise. Greg White here, and I have spent my career starting, leading, deploying, and investing in supply chain tech. So we take a shot and talk founders, execs, investors, and companies in this hot industry. If you want a taste of how tech startup growth and investment is done, join me for another blinding Tequila Sunrise. Do you have your shot glass? We have to get into the right frame of mind for this. (laughs) (sighs) Hey, welcome to yet another Tequila Sunrise. Yep, Scott has made the mistake of giving me the mic yet again. Actually, he's being interviewed as we speak, so stay here and listen to this. Look, I'm Greg White with Supply Chain Now and host of Tequila Sunrise. I've spent my career working in building, starting, founding, advising, and investing in supply chain tech, so I appreciate you joining me here to geek out with some supply chain geeks. Today, we're going to talk about a really exciting topic, data. Sounds boring, doesn't it? But nope. That's the other series here. You better listen up because we're going to talk about the literally millions of dollars that are stashed away, that are stored away, that sometimes are wasted away in data in companies with missing or misaligned or duplicate data on inventory items. And we're going to talk to a guy with a company who knows what it takes to get that done and and uh, is, is doing it today. So, and, and we're going to talk about the companies that he's impacted and what it's meant to them. So thanks for joining us today. Additionally, we're going to share a big announcement that our guest has. So uh, let me acknowledge a few folks and then we'll take our shot. Well, let's see. Sneha is with us. Thank you. It's always good talking to you. Sneha has her own good idea, by the way. Gary Smith, welcome. Enrique, how are you doing, Enrique? Good to see you. Like, I don't see you every day, but it's good to see you here. Davin, of course, with the brilliance and comedy relief, Peter Bollet, Danvis Momayani from Kenya, and Richard. All right. So thanks for sounding off, everybody. Srinivas, appreciate you sounding off as well. Let's bring in our guest today, Mr. Paul Noble, CEO at Verison. Hey, Paul, how are you doing? I'm good. Always Welcome good. aboard. So are we supposed to take it off with a shot here? At- do you have a yeah. shot? You're <laughs> at the beach. So <laughs> no. do you have a shot it's handy? Really because technically we are. And I even I didn't think of that. It's anytime somewhere. That, that's, <laughs> that's right. My mother-in-law says. I feel like I feel like you and I may have taken a shot or two in the past. So we'll we'll make up for it for joining us. So, so tell me what's going on other than you're out there getting a sunburn on the coast. Yeah. I need to, uh, although it's a little chilly, we did a change of scenery, uh, out at Jekyll Island, fa- uh, family favorite in our household. So we're here for a few days, but the work for it, work from anywhere environment is, uh, conducive. So we got it a lot is, of, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. It's funny vacations, at least, you know, in the past for me have really just been, as my wife called it, working from a tropical location. Workations. Right? Yeah. Workation. Yep. Right. <laughs> right. So before we get started with Paul, first of all, thanks for joining us. Oh, and one full disclosure, I am an advisor to Paul's company. So I'm a huge, huge fan. Uh, and I think we're, we're doing some great things at Verison. So we're going to talk about not just Verison, but also the results that companies are seeing from this data and of course yeah. what's going on in the market in general and don't forget paul's big announcement which is coming yeah uh, so one quick announcement i have to do this because otherwise my marketing people kick me in the shins of course if you enjoy our live stream videos remember that we also have a podcast and a vlog so you can find us wherever you find podcasts at supplychainnow.com or the Tequila Sunrise YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe and click the alert button so you're reminded whenever we come out with something new. All right. Advertising aside, (laughs) Paul, let's talk about this. So pay for this stuff, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. We got to, we got to pay the bills. These fun conversations. And I will say out of the 
out of the gates. We talked about it a little bit backstage here. Our virtual backstage is had I known I would have hung up some Browns gear. Had I known you were going to rub it in my face. No. So I'm sorry. It, you know, that's, this is my normal backdrop. It's not, it's not about you. I'm, yeah. I'm, I am sorry. Yeah. I'll tell you this, Paul, the Browns gave us a much better run than the bills did and yeah. scared me a whole lot more. So, and you know, we have the Schottenheimer connection, so I'm a big fan. We'll be rooting for you. I know that our friends at Flyover Capital will be excited to. Oh yeah, Browns rooting for the Chiefs this weekend. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I saw the Airbnbs disappearing in the third and fourth quarter of the last game, so <laughs> I, imagine, I imagine Dan Kerr is on his way down there. You bet. You bet. All right, so we know a little bit about you. So you have told us where you're from. But tell yeah. us a little bit of something else. First of all, how did you get in the industry and how did that lead to the vision for Verison and, and what you guys do? Yeah, I know we've talked about it before, but I what brought me to Atlanta, I worked for the Sherwin-Williams company. Great company, great results, good, good training ground. And what brought me here and exposed me to supply chain, both internally there and then mostly externally, I started essentially just crawling through storerooms and cribs and manufacturing facilities all over North America. And that exposed me to some of the challenges that uh, organizations have with materials, always trying to optimize and working with industrial distributors like Granger and Fastenal and Motion Industries and, you know, you name it, that supply these things. We were a supplier to them. So, uh, always trying to find and standardize, but always had trouble with data, right? And yeah. so I spun up a program that we called at the time an end user program where we would go engage with large manufacturing agent companies and try to get them to use our products essentially. And that- From Sherwin-Williams? From Sherwin-Williams, yeah. Okay. Not the stores. We were on the side of the house that was, we had paints, chemicals, a bunch of different things nobody would ever associate uh, the Krylon Industrial Group. But anyway, mm -hmm. what it exposed us to was just that even if a company wanted to do certain things, their data and their ability to get everyone on board to make those changes, so change management, there was nothing there, no tools for you know all the effort that was going into trying to optimize uh, the materials that were being used across the supply chain network. So that was my exposure originally. Then I moved to Atlanta to run our Eastern uh, U.S. part of that business, which was you know about a thirty million dollar business unit, um, and okay. that just kind of amplified as I was you know working with internal and external representatives that were going and doing the same things I had been doing. Um, just started to feel feel that pain every day, right? Um, and yeah. it really boiled down to this concept of organizations purchase, use inventory, physical goods, but as they purchase and inventory those, um, they have to digitally represent them in their systems, like ERP or EAM systems. And so humans are naming physical goods and creating a different digital footprint of those goods. So the digital goods are all over the place as they pass through the supply chain from party to party. So the, the one physical good has a thousand different representations of itself. And literally potentially Paul yeah. in, in each location that it's used, right? Yeah. Yep. Because yep. the, I mean, sometimes the, the data entry and the systems are that distributed. Yeah. That this yeah. factory might call it, you know, my famous, I don't know, it's famous to me. Yeah. Uh, my favorite, at least, terminology is they may call it a bucket here and a pail there. Totally. Right. It's exactly the same item. That simple. Or it's like, you know, it's red hammer, hammer red, or hammer rojo, you know, like yeah. basic stuff like that that shouldn't be a problem. But if you, when you're talking half a million, a million records, master data records for these materials, hundreds of facilities, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of suppliers, it can get away from you. And it's just too much data to wrangle. And it's been a decades old problem. I felt the pain on the business side. We knew the clear business value there. 
two organizations. So after being in Atlanta for a few years, always had the entrepreneurial itch. I knew it. And then, so I set out to do it, which is the yeah. first step, as you know, taking an entrepreneurial journey. What do you got to do? You got to do, right? Yeah. So, do something if you do it wrong. You got to start. And uh, we did plenty of things wrong out of the gate, but you know, we, we found, found our path and have been building for the last couple of years, a really exciting and scalable technology for these manuf- global manufacturers or asset intensive businesses. So tell me, how big is this problem? If I mean, have you estimated the market in terms of, yeah. I, I think the result of this, Paul, is, is wasted inventory because you know, in this location, it's hammer red. And in that location, it's red hammer. You never realize that they are the same item. And therefore you could literally duplicate yep. inventory in exponential fashion. So Happens do you have a graph on the size of the impact? Yeah. So, market? you know, pick any CPG company, any auto company, you know, any manufacturer vertical verticals aside are usually carrying hundreds of millions of dollars of that you know, those types of materials, indirect materials and inventory. So it's from a spend perspective, it's hundreds of billions of dollars in inventory and purchases every year, if not trillions through wholesale distribution, which you know well. And the impact to each organization is that because the data is so bad, the byproducts of that data, inventory, procurement of items, you know, you're wasting but you know, 40 to $50 million potentially every year because you're carrying what you think you need to be reliable, but it's not supported by any fact data or anything else. So right. kind of falls into this black hole that uh, every company has, not because they don't want to manage it better. It's just their systems and their processes don't allow them to. And so, then the data is the trifecta that disallows it, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, I think let's let's describe real quickly yeah. indirect at, at a for, from a layman's perspective. Indirect is those things that go into the the construction or build of a product that are sometimes infinitesimal elements of of the of the product such that they're not even included on the bill of materials. So yeah. they can be small things. They can be enabling things. Right. And therefore they're not often as tightly managed as, yeah. as direct, even direct materials and certainly not as tightly managed as a finished good. So it's easy for that right. to get relatively right. out of hand. Yeah, so indirect materials, exactly that. Indirect materials, anything that doesn't go into the product, right? So that's anything that keeps facilities and operations up and running, assets working. A subset of that is you know where we start with organizations because it is so overlooked and and you know the data is is so poor which is a, a specific reason we wanted to start there is uh, MRO or maintenance repair operations right so right. you know that's typically 5 to 7% of revenue a lot smaller than direct materials but you know where we're focused we are materials management focused and you know that's where the value we bring to our customers so let's let's talk a little bit about that because it's easy to overlook that and we and you know one of the things I think you see is that segment. Yeah. I, I worked first in finished goods supply chain and mm-hmm. then in spare parts supply chain. Yep. And what I realized is the relationship between indirect goods and finished goods is not dissimilar mm-hmm. to the relationship between finished goods and spare parts. Everybody focuses on what gets sold out the door. They don't necessarily be focused on on those little things that construct what gets sold out the front door coming in the back door, right? Yeah. Um, Since this area is ignored, uh, I wouldn't say ignored. It's just over on where you're at. It may not be ignored, but maybe undervalued. But when you think about the impact Mm -hmm. of that, why have companies struggled so much to attack this problem? Yeah, I, I mean, again, topic of conversation, it goes back to the data, right? It always does. It's not a desire to not do it, but again, higher dollars, bigger impact to the business, and then obviously customers are finished goods and direct materials, larger percentage. But 
the data portion of it's very similar, right? Our, our thesis is that, and you know, we're out, out to prove that. And the models are just, just different, right? So how do you demand plan for finished goods and direct materials and indirect materials? Um, the signals are different. There's things that go into it, but it, they're innately very similar, you know, from a data perspective, you know, mm -hmm. there's physical things being misrepresented digitally. So you have dirty and incomplete data in these systems of record. And to really tackle that and, you know, understand it is really difficult. And that's, you know, you want to pick a big, a big problem to go solve. And, that, you know, that's where we fit. So cool. Well, I want to talk, I want to talk about cleansing data here in just a second. But before we do that, let's acknowledge some other folks, your boy, Aaron Meredith, a new, a relatively new member of the team, but oh, not new to us in the Atlanta supply chain space. Great yeah. to have you among the Verison team, Aaron. Anna Mary Sandoval, Tom Raftery, supply chain guru in his own right, um, focused a lot on reverse, but uh, also very knowledgeable in all things supply chain. Kelvin Kayombo Kalama from Zambia. Hey, you have international interest already. You, you are practically an international traveler, right? <laughs> Rhonda, Sneha, as we mentioned before, there's a, you know, a lot of people, I think, understand the issue here. And in the past, right, traditionally, we've done this thing called a data cleanse mm -hmm. that purports to fix the problems that you're talking about, all these duplicates and missing data and misaligned data and that sort of thing. So you guys are totally against that. And I, I got to tell you, e even working with you frequently, it's hard for me to wrap my head around sure. what is it if it's not a data cleanse? I mean, you, you even have the little, right? The don't, yeah. the do not pass uh, data yeah, cleanse. Co-sign co on the, uh, the no software Salesforce moniker. Right, right. No data right. cleanse moniker. Yeah, so it makes sense, right? If you're approaching this problem traditionally as you know, people have continued to do, I'll call it for the last decade or more. How can I understand what I need to optimize if the data supporting it isn't good? So we need to cleanse it. We need to make it better. We need to put rules around it. We need to over-process the data, right? Uh, which makes sense. And with technology, traditional technologies that were available, you know, that was the process. You started with the data cleanse before you could do anything with it. And most organizations feel like that's the only approach, right? So our approach is different. It doesn't mean that we don't think good data is important. We just have developed an approach that we can, I'll put it this way. So if a company comes to us or puts out a data cleanse RFP, you know, the first question that should be asked is why do you want clean data? There are no, you know, there are no blue ribbons handed out or gold stars for having the best data. It's what you do with the data, right? So we took the approach of, what do companies want to do with data? They want to inventory better. They want to procure better. They want to, you know, carry what they need, where they need it, when they need it. So if we don't have to clean data and can start doing that, let's do that quickly because it builds a good business case. It delivers value and it influences the day where we need to concentrate our efforts in building digital goods and augmenting existing data deduplicating, finding, you know, substitutes and where, you know, optimizing pricing, it influences those things. So we are a data company at the core. We understand and deliver the byproducts of data, which are, you know, demand signal verification, procurement and inventory intelligence in this holistic approach. And your data will get clean eventually but you don't need to start there. So it takes this two to three year process of cleansing data and optimizing it with multiple pieces of software, or multiple projects and condenses it to two to three months. What I heard you say is you, you begin with the end in mind. You figure yeah. out a way to use right. the grimy, dirty data to yeah. keep them moving forward and then cleanse it as part yeah. of the progressive process. Yeah. So I know you use AI to do that. Right. right. So you allow them, and I, I'm going to paraphrase here in my, my simple-minded terms, Paul, you connect Red Hammer to Hammer Red to Hammer Rojo, right? 
and, yep. and you identify that th those are all the same thing. So they could still have all the grimy data that identifies those three, three things separately, but you effectively compile those into an item that consists of all of those things and identifies that, hey, if they have a hammer Rojo and you need a red hammer, you can get that from them. Yeah. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair, I mean, is that a fair estimation of what yeah. you're doing? Yeah. On the data side, absolutely. It's this concept that we've developed called material truth, right? It's all about trust. Anything is, right? But specifically this concept of building trusted records, right? So we present these things to experts without them having to do any analysis and dig through data and pivot tables and all those things, right? So, and present them and then have them verify it, right? Is Are these the same thing? Everything in the system and it's dirty and incomplete state tells us that. And we've, um, we've built, we use that technology to do that very quickly. And then those decisions that are made every day, regardless of our technology or not, those decisions are being made daily or overlooking them, right? Right. Um, and it's typically this pull data out, do something in Excel or an external you know, <laughs> type of solution, put it back in. So the right. reason chose the reason we chose the right technology for the problem that we knew was very clear and and a huge problem for organizations was because of that knowledge transfer, right? So as you're making decisions, we're creating this audit trail. You're able to become more prescriptive and you don't have to do any analysis, right? So it just simplifies a very complex problem. So, so all right. So you're expediting the process by letting them use this junky data to get stuff done, right? Mm -hmm. To help identify where they can create efficiencies in their supply chain or yeah. product mix or inventory yep. um, disposition or whatever. So tell us about... I know there's some big stories and that have happened along the timeline you've talked about where companies have really seen some significant benefits really fast. And I think it's, there's a couple things that are important here. One, I want people to understand how powerful that your data can be to improve your business really, really rapidly if you do it. I want them also to understand that data is the core as, as everyone I think knows uh, inherently, but I think it would help to understand just how impactful and just how fast it can be for data to enable better supply chain practices and the impact that that's having on not just the companies that you're working with and not just your company and its value, but the value of supply chain in the world economy, right? And, yeah. and, the, and how that's impacted the valuation, the esteem of supply chain overall. So don't tackle that all at once, but kind of yeah. Uh, give us an idea of a story that kind of helps enunciate and get us there in terms of why supply chain and why this data impact is so. Yeah. So it, again, we talked about the size, right? So you have half a million, a million materials that help these enterprises and these supply chains go. Supply chains now are doing everything they can do to be as agile as possible. And you know, so to undertake a digital transformation or optimize a node of that supply chain, whether it's materials or logistics or whatever, and to tackle that and have it take years to complete seems without, you know, without having a, the end in mind, as you, as you mentioned there, like, and getting, extracting value quickly, things can change by the time you're at the end of that project. So our approach is to find and fund and build a business case very quickly with the low hanging fruit that exists across that supply chain. And so we, with any of our customers and their large CPG companies, a couple Atlanta-based companies, uh, Graphic Packaging and, and Georgia Pacific as examples where, again, it doesn't matter what you do, it's process and, process and systems, go in, find the low hanging fruit, and knock on wood, you know, we're batting a thousand when, you know, it's again, not because they don't want to do it. It's just because it's been mismanaged by systems for so long, we can go in and find, you know, an average of $10 million in less than 90 days. I mean, when, when you say find, do you mean find and, and eradicate the excess yeah. that yeah. equals that 10 million bucks? 
So it's, it's, that is a, a big part. And we were challenged earlier by an unnamed customer uh, early in our existence, right? Yeah. Of, well, it's great. Anyone can come in, feed a model and tell me how much we have, but I need to trust that you can help me execute on that, right? So we've built the product around that challenge and this pillar of trust, not that our recommendation and the output of the software is always right, but that people trust that they can work with that as a starting point, right? So we present information and we'll find, here's what potentially is there, but it's what the customers verify. So that $10 million number is verified savings that we've presented. Hey, here's everything the system is telling us based on your history, the data, you know, understanding of the data, the way we, we uh, can uniquely do. Can you verify this? Do you agree with our recommendation? Do you disagree with it? If you disagree with it, tell us why. But you're planting a flag. And so it's this trusted demand signal. I've created a demand signal, whether I trust, whether I've agreed or disagreed with Verison, And then I have this unique audit trail. And then we can look at the outcomes. So people are putting their name on things that are extremely difficult to get otherwise, right? It's usually, and you've experienced it, procurement and ops kind of work like this more, more than this, right? Right. And as procurement were to say, buy this material from this vendor at this price, ops is going to push back and say, well, you didn't know this, 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 or this, because I've never put it in the system, right? So we right. allow them to have that opinion, which helps build trust and helps drive execution. So it can change min max and safety stock levels, you know, like your typical optimization software would, but we also, we have that backed by a layer of intelligence that we take the feedback that experts are providing, they're verifying and they're continuing to teach the system what, how their organization works, right? And that builds scalability is none of these traditional supply chain projects are very scalable because of change management, because the data changes and can't keep up with the business changing. And so we, we took a different approach, took, you know, very, very, you know, worked closely with customers to understand what they wanted out of it and what they would support to actually roll out and scale this across and maintain it and then keep adding to those learnings with new features and things that we can present to them once that foundation is laid. Cause I could see, yeah. And I think that's important here. Listen, Peter says would have loved AI 24 years ago when I took over hard goods procurement at air Canada. I can imagine, <laughs> I mean, airline, I, I have worked, yep. I have worked with airline spare parts inventory in the past and it is no small task, right? Oh, in yeah. fact, there was, I imagine still is an entire industry where groups of airlines pool their spare parts and, proc and procurement goods together because they need so much. Yep. Um, and it, yet it's so hard to predict when and where they'll need this bolt for seat 24A or whatever, right? Yep. Yep. So that's a very complex industry. I don't. Yeah. I, it's I, I, and it looks like Peter retired at a fairly young age, Paul. And now we know why, right? Right. Yeah. Drove him, drove him. <laughs> but no, that yeah. goes a big, big thing. And like what we've talked about on live streams previously is uh, supply chain will see a renaissance now because, you know, the next five to 10 years, because technology's available, right? And well, anytime you can, anytime you can impact a company by $10 million in less than a hundred days or, or, you know, or whatever the number is. Um, and I know that's one of the more conservative cases, but probably one you can quote. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's significant. Right? And 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 that ten million, if I understand correctly, that ten million is gone forever. You have essentially said you don't need these three types of hammers because they are the same hammer, mm -hmm. and and they never need reduplicate that inventory again, right? So that, yeah, and that's just one case. That's just the identification in in the data yeah. aspect of it, and then you have the additional capabilities that help them identify where and how much of these types of goods they should have throughout their entire supply chain. Yeah, 
and to be clear too, it's verified savings is that I trust that level. I trust the new min max and safety stocks. I trust the data supporting that. Those are influencing one another. Once I do that, you I can, can do business with inventory at that level. You correct. Mean. Yeah, yeah, we we know, yeah, because that's the only reason anyone carries inventory, finished goods, direct materials, or whatever, is to hit service level levels, right? I don't want downtime. So we're giving trust that I will remain reliable at these, you know, these optimized levels. And you know, we customer service levels, sigma levels are our goal with our customers. But you know, it's cost avoidance first, right? That inventory doesn't just disappear, right? <laughs> Once you reset the min-max levels, what it does is allows, it gives that verified demand signal now that influences, all right, we don't have to procure more, so we've avoided cost. Uh, we don't need it here, but that plant needs it. Let's move it there. And it fuels this kind of trusted network as we're talking back to trust, material truth, trusted network, trusted data, trusted demand signals, and that make up that material truth. And pause me if I'm pitching too much, but uh, <laughs> I think, I mean, I think you're making a good case for- It has to hit the P&L. It has to hit the P&L eventually. So you can't just find, right. you need to make it easy to execute, which is, you know, what it's all about, so. Well, and as Dr. Vias says here, it's important to align that with the stakeholders. Look, somebody has to trust yep. and verify that those those results are a way to go forward in business. They're not just, I mean, you could strip $30 million out of inventory in a lot of companies, Totally, but yeah. you would sacrifice customer experience or service level or uh, sustainability, or it would only be a temporary hit, yep. which we often see this sort of pendulum swing of, we need inventory out because we need cash. Now we need to boost inventory because, yeah. because we need better service. What you're helping to do is what more companies need to focus on is recognize that these are synergistic, not exclusive goals that you can have both. You can have both better cash flow and better customer experience by managing that inventory more effectively. And I think what that goes to is that we are managing inventory so ineffectively and particularly yeah. in manufacturing. And part of the reason for that is because manufacturers have huge margins. You at Sherwin-Williams, Merck, name a company, all of them, all, almost all of the margin made for goods, even consumer goods that we as consumers buy, all, almost all of the margin is made by the manufacturers. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, yeah. when you use the term gross profit, it's gross as in all capital letters when you talk about manufacturing. Right. And that's why they've been allowed to and able to be less efficient with their inventories because they can afford the excess. Yep. Now they've realized that the excess is impacting their ability to service uh, their customers and that it has created fragility in their supply chain and they need to resolve that. So, all right, so you, you've got this great tool Obviously, you're doing great things, and we're seeing this in the industry. And, and look, this isn't just a Verison pitch, right? This is no, no. something that's necessary in the marketplace, um, and it no. and it's an unrecognized in some cases, or at least undervalued um, process or effect in the marketplace. So, so where do we go from here? So, yeah. one, I think it's important for folks to recognize this is not a one-time exercise. You don't just strip out. $10 million worth of inventory, and then you're done with it. You are done with that $10 million worth of inventory. But as I've heard so often, as the water recedes, the rocks are exposed. This <laughs> creates new issues in the supply chain, right? So how? Do, so where do you go from here, both for with, with a solution? Let's say you, you have this problem as a manufacturer. Where do you go next step? If you're a manufacturer or a CPG brand or whatever, what's the next step after you've You've done that. Quick point, you know, pig, uh, piggyback on one of your earlier comments is that because it's been so difficult, these are these are you know enterprises are filled with silos, whether it's architecture of technology or functionality, you know, across departments. But there are silos of people managing finished goods and systems, people managing and and. Uh, the direct materials and indirect materials all separately, but they influence one another is 
is the key point. So as you're optimizing indirect materials, it's going to help you drive more efficiency and, and trust more that you're going to be producing your product on schedule and keep, you know, for the most capital efficient way possible. And so as, as we grow, but as organizations grow, you can use those areas that you've influenced and apply that to other parts of your business and truly run your supply chain um, with effective transmission of data across systems. And then more importantly, once you got the house right, let's look out to the supply chain and share right. partners, right? And be able to trade demand, trusted demand signals and digital goods and, you know, the holy, the holy grail of supply chain, real-time sourcing, right? Eliminating that bullwhip effect that we so often talk about in supply right. chain. Because right. the bullwhip effect is almost solely, yeah. almost solely created by lack of transparency and visibility between the, right. the players and the tiers of the supply chain. All right. So where to so like so, lack of sustainability too. There's one one quick point that we're gonna be looking at as we continue to grow is you know circular economy, wasting less, right? There's there's a way with visibility that you know we can uh, you know drop another buzzword there. So yeah, no, I, I mean I think that's important because that is one of the yeah one of the core effects. And I, I think so our, all right. So as we as we think about the impact, it's not just to you, the manufacturer, it can be to your suppliers and your consumers or downstream supply chain. Um, and it's cost saving for all of those because it's, you know, I, I don't want to use this cliche, but I have to, it's kind of right inventory, right place, right time, but it is. It, it's another way to attack that, that problem. So I, I want to address something uh, Sneha is talking about here. So, Sneha is asking, would love to know different tools you've used and found useful for data cleansing. So Sneha, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. I think one of the things that we're talking about here is that, again, using the paradigm that a data cleanse requires a first pass, maybe a second, third, or multiple passes through to clean the data before you do something. What we're talking about is doing something with the grungy, grimy data that you have today and, and actually making progress that impacts the bottom line before you go through and do a data cleanse. Is that a fair estimation of what you're saying? Our approach is, yeah. Because um, when we looked at, at first, you know, we were like, there's different naming conventions, there's different standards across categories. There's always this, you know, search for perfect data, which is an impossibility. And even well, if- and, and, and the more- yeah. The, the harder you search, the bigger the search becomes. And the yeah. truth is, you know, to go back to that, do, as you said, right? Once you're an entrepreneur, you do. Doing is the job and finding the result is the job. So I think what's unique about the perspective you've taken, and I, I saw this from early on, is get something done, even yeah. with the greasy, grimy, go for guts data. Yeah. And, and then make the secondary part the cleanse of it. If you can, if you can utilize what you've got, acknowledge that it's not perfect, and then have both of those things be a constantly growing process. In the same two to three years time, you're getting much, much better results, which is the which is what has to be the goal of an enterprise, right? Yeah. If you're a manufacturer, you shouldn't be a data manager as well, right? I shouldn't have to manage the master data for things that I'm purchasing from somewhere. I should be able to understand what I need and look out to my supply chain to get that digital good information and name goods. And that's really the the, the bottom line of our, our thesis is understand it enough to drive value and then look outward to the supply chain to get the extra information or the cleansing you need. Um, is really your system should be self-cleansing. And that's what we feel will be the case as we continue to grow. It's really offering our customers a self-cleansing network. So let's talk about that growth because the big announcement for you is, uh, for you and Verison and, and your customers is your opportunity to grow. So I think we've, I think we've dragged people through this <laughs> data thing enough. Let's, let's, give them, let's give them the big win 
probably yeah. a lot of the reason they've stuck around. Tell them what the big announcement is for Verison. Yeah, so we are excited to announce that uh, we've closed our Series A funding. We just did a capital raise of $8 million and just announced today. So you're the you're the first outlet that uh, that we're talking to. So uh, supply chain now exclusive. And <laughs> there we go. Exclusive live stream. But, all, all it takes is a little tequila. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so cheers to that. No, we're really excited. So our team through a very challenging year, our team of, you know, 26, 27, 28, depends on the day, adding a lot of people now, did a great job. Our core team did a great job in 2020 of working through a really difficult time, showing customers value across the globe. And uh, we wanted to add more fuel, fuel to the fire, so to speak. And so we, $8 million round, co-led by Flyover Capital out of Kansas, Kansas City, Kansas, and Forte Ventures out of Atlanta and some representation in the Bay Area. And then uh, a new strategic partner, our first strategic investment from BMW iVentures that will help us, you know, kind of break even more so into the automotive industry. And then our, our great existing investors set a Glasswing Ventures out of Boston and Kubera, who you know well, Blasi and I've heard of them. Yeah, James right. and uh, and Engage. So really great group of investors. Which is you know for those entrepreneurs out there, it's the team you build that gets you to where you want to go. And we feel we have a not only a great team building and executing the product, um, and we're building on that. But, you know, our external partners, advisors and investors uh, couldn't be happier with where we're at now and where we're going. I can vouch for that firsthand. Um, so, <laughs> so um, look, these these times, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Thank um, you. And and really hard earned and really well earned. Um, you know, you, you guys have managed your partnerships. You've built a valuable product. You have delivered. That is the most important thing. You've not just delivered sales. You have delivered results uh, to your customers out there and for founders out there that are look, looking for funding. Let me assure you that delivering those results is key to getting funding, right? Um, I think, look, there's always, always these, these are always commendable events. It's always a congratulatory. There's always a celebratory moment. I think a lot of people uh, don't understand the grind that goes into the the struggle that goes into getting to this point. Yeah. So yeah, I'd love it if you could just share some of that, and 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 then maybe if you could share some guidance, something that the pat the pre series A Paul Noble should learn <laughs> from the post series A Paul Noble, and maybe that some of our uh, our community can learn from that as well. Yeah, um, it's fundraising is a grind, and anything you say can and will be used against you, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, right. Right. Uh, yeah, it's just you know it helps for me, helped me get a lot of clarity on even more so on on the vision and where you're going. You're pitching, pitching partners and and funds and all you know sorts of individuals some that understand supply chain others that don't and you need to find the right partner for you i think is the the biggest you know which i believe we have and and we're fortunate to do so um not all capital is the same so you know pick your partners wisely mm -hmm. uh, and and there's no blueprint for it too. You can read a lot about what you need to do and and lean on others, right, to learn. But there's no blueprint of this is how you fundraise in any capacity, venture, uh, startups, whatever it may whatever it may be. Right. Um, so you know, you know, be op be open to change and being nimble, embrace change, do all those all those things, and surround yourself with uh, good humans in the process, and you know, good things can happen. Well, and your results were, uh, you know, I'll brag on you a little bit. Your results are were so substantial and your growth was exponential to say the least. I know we can't say the specific numbers, but um, it was significant. Grant Cardone would would have been proud just 
in case anyone is a Grant Cardone follower, they know exactly what I'm talking about. You would have been proud of your growth and and you had firms seeking you out. And yet there was a there was still a lot of work that went into this. Oh, you, know, yeah. you, you had uh, firms that were tracking you from your previous seed round. And yet there's a lot of work that goes into this. And I think that that cannot be overlooked. Even when you're being sought out, even when you're a hot commodity, even when, as in as is true in supply chain, even when the valuations are enormous relative to other relative to other markets, yep. it's still a lot of work because the truth is, it is a proctology exam when you sure. go through a funding exercise, and they they learn a lot about you and and um, you know, transparency, right? We've talked a lot about visibility yep. and transparency. Yep. Those things are critical because yep. I think people don't always recognize that these people are about to give you $8 million of not their money, of someone else's money on whom they have staked their reputation to, to obtain that rep, that yep. money. And they are the fiscal guardian of that mm -hmm. Those people's monies, those limited partners' money, and yeah. so they they are very very cautious and very very thorough when they go through this process. So, yeah. you know, it sounds it sounds like a great celebration, and it is a great celebration. Yeah. But I think it's important for people to realize just how much work it is to get through this process. So, anything else you would you would tell your pre your pre Series A self? Other than, other than know your partner, right? I mean, you, yeah. right, find the right partner from yeah. a money standpoint is really valuable. Yeah, find the right partner, stay calm, stay focused, you know, continue to execute because it really is about execution at this point. And we're excited about, you know, the path that we have forward, the partners we have, the great customers we have, and, you know, just feel really humbled and, and blessed for the team that we have to do it. So every day, every day has got to be fun. There's ups and downs, but try to make it fun and execution will take care of itself. Thank you. Paul Rose, C or Paul Rose, Paul, Paul, Paul Rose, <laughs> another friend of mine, Paul Noble, CEO of Verison. Thank you for sharing. Congratulations on your raise. Thank you. Um, how can folks get in touch with you? So on all the major social channels at Paul J. Noble. Verison is uh, at Verison underscore AI or Verison.com. And feel free also email me, Paul at Verison.com. Would love to hear from you all out there. And for those that did join, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. And Paul, thank you. Inspiration to all of us. I appreciate that you're building value in your company and also in your customers. So thanks for joining us. I'll see you. you in just a second in the green room. All right. Appreciate it. See you now now. I'm going to talk about you like you're not here because you're not going to be here. Go Browns. Yeah. And? Chiefs. Thank you. <laughs> so this is where I usually talk about somebody like they're not here when they are actually here. But look, I think if there's anything we can take away from this, obviously what Paul and his team, and it is a very quality team, have done is they have built a company that has attacked a big problem. And, and this is a lesson for founders. It's a lesson for people trying to grow companies. It's frankly a lesson for those of us who might be out there seeking technology or other solutions. It could be any kind of solution for your business, but they've attacked a big problem, uh, a problem that was underappreciated, not only by the people with the problem, but also by solution providers. So they've given themselves an open market. And that's so incredibly important green field and green space and less competition when you're attacking a market is always so much better as I've heard someone say, push the sand downhill instead of uphill. They've delivered incredible value. First of all, if you want your company to succeed, you have to deliver tangible and acknowledged value by your customers. He said their customers have the trust of their solution that it does deliver. And they've, they're building a bigger and bigger trust network, not only within their company, as some of them are expanding within their company, but with their business partners. And that's an important aspect of remaining competitive and remaining important to your customers. And, and lastly, this bodes so well, this particular event and so many others that we see 
this bodes so well for the supply chain technology industry. There's a ton of value out there, a ton of value being created. Frankly, it's been being created for decades, but now it is finally being recognized and it's being recognized in incredible, incredible multiples. So understand that if you are out there and you have a business, you're out there and you're seeking solutions, if you ever doubted the value that supply chain brings, Understand that whether it's technology or it's physical assets or whatever it is, supply chain is, of course, on the front line of everything right now. We talk about that all the time here. Never underestimate that and always value it and recognize that finally, finally, the world recognizes that, too. And now is a good time to take advantage of that. And it's a huge opportunity. And as our friend Kevin Bell says, right? It's okay, it, it's possible to take advantage of an opportunity without being opportunistic. Be genuine, be transparent, present value always. All right, with that, I'm gonna sign off. Of course, Tequila Sunrise is part of the Supply Chain Now network. You know where to find us, wherever you get your podcasts or YouTube, and of course, at supplychainnow.com. On behalf of everyone at Supply Chain Now, I'm gonna sign off and give you my last final statement. This is how I live my life. I encourage you to do the same. Acknowledge reality, but never be bound by it. Thank you. Tequila Sunrise is part of the Supply Chain Now Network, the voice of supply chain featuring the people, technologies, best practices, and key issues in the industry. And hey, listen up. To build your supply chain knowledge, listen to, get this, supply chain is boring where Chris Barnes connects you to the who's who that got supply chain where we are, point us to where we're going, and take us to the next level. Or check out This Week in Business History with Supply Chain Now's own Scott Luton to learn more about everyday things you may take for granted and pick up quick insights you can use as inspiration and conversation starters. Our Logistics with Purpose series puts a spotlight on inspiring and successful organizations that give first, give forward as their business model. If you're interested in transportation, freight, and logistics, have a listen to the Logistics and Beyond series with the Adapt and Thrive Mindset Sherpa, Jamin Alvidrez, and also check out Tech Talk, hosted by industry vet and Atlanta's own Corinne Bursa, supply chain pro to know of 2020 where Corinne discusses the people, processes, and technology of digital supply chain. For sponsorship information on Tequila Sunrise or any Supply Chain Now show, DM me on Twitter or Instagram at Gregory S. White or email me at greg at supplychainnow.com. Thanks again for spending your time with me and remember, acknowledge reality, but never be bound by it. <laughs>